Try not to get worried. Try not to turn on to problems that upset you. Don't you know everything's all right? Yes, everything's fine. And we want you to sleep well tonight. Let the world turn without you tonight. If we try, we'll get by. So forget all about us tonight. Everything's all right. Yes, everything's all right. Yes, sleep and I shall soothe you, calm you, and anoint you for your hot forehead. Then you feel everything's all right. Yes, everything's fine. And it's cool and the ointment sweet for the fire in your head and feet. Close your eyes, close your eyes and relax. Think of nothing tonight. Hey, hey, woman, your fine ointment, brand new and expensive, should have been safe for the poor. Why has it been wasted? We could have raised maybe 300 silver pieces or more. People who are hungry, people who are starving, they matter more than your feet and hands. Try not to get worried, try not to turn on to problems that upset you. Don't you know everything's all right? Yes, everything's all right, yes. Surely you're not saying we have the resources to save the poor from their lot. There will be poor always, pathetically struggling. Look at the good things you've got. Think while you still have me move, while you still see me. You'll be lost, and you'll be sorry when I'm gone. Sleep and I shall soothe you, calm you, and anoint you for your hot forehead. Then you feel everything's all right, yes, everything's fine. And it's cool and the ointment sweet for the fire in your head. Close your eyes, close your eyes and relax, think of nothing tonight. Close your eyes, close your eyes and relax. 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 Welcome to The Bottom of the Glass, a podcast about the art of traditional rudimental drumming and music of all origins. The Bottom of the Glass is hosted by Dave Loyal, Brendan Mason, and me, Brian Watkinson. 
We'll dig deep into the theories, the ideas, and the history of rudimental drumming, fifing, and world music through the words and experiences of those who are making music history today. I don't believe it, man. I would, I would actually put up, if Dave puts up 50 bucks, I'll put up 50 bucks. And if I'll you can up- do 50 push-ups in two minutes, we'll pay you 50 bucks, Brendan. All right. I could do 50 push-ups in two minutes. What are we Dave, doing? are you in? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, like, it doesn't matter. It could be $300 because <laughs> we're, we're not going to lose this one. <laughs> are you kidding me right now? You don't think I can do 50 push-ups? They have to be decent. They can't be well, crap in, push-ups. In ah. two minutes. Well, you know, we started at one minute. But, yeah, in two minutes. I, I, I think there's a possibility. So I'd be very what? proud of you if you did. Worth my 25 bucks to equal 50 with, Brent, with Brian. No, no. Okay. 50 bucks each, I thought, Brian said. I don't care. Either way. Doesn't matter to me. I know I can do. I I did thirty five when I woke up this morning. Thirty five miles an hour? No, <laughs> thirty five push ups. My arms are killing me, and it, you know the last few were a struggle. But you give oh me boy, a couple of days. Yeah. No, I, I can do fifty push ups in an hour. Anyways. Whatever. In an hour? Yeah. Or two, <laughs> sorry, two minutes. You guys have no faith in me. You don't believe in me. That's the problem. How are we supposed to be uh, a team here if you don't believe in me? And where's the where's the support that I so desperately need in this time of of, of need? I work <laughs> out. I work out almost every morning on this really hardcore thing, and I can't do fifty push ups in two minutes. Ryan, you don't have arms like I do. <laughs> stop, <laughs> Jesus! Just stop. Oh, stop! Don't even show me that. <laughs> Jesus, you know, hey, Justin Timberlake, look at him. He's fucking crazy. Oh, damn crazy. Yeah, that's all right. We got to swear in there. That's, we're not going to take that out. We're trying to be better, everybody. We're trying to be better about our, our swearing and our and our different words. Every now and then it's going to come out and we're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Hey, so happy Easter, guys. Happy Easter. Easter. Coming. Yeah. Yeah. Can't you want to hear something creepy? This yes. is something kind of creepy. And and Brian, you know the story, but I don't know if David does. So Taylor Hawkins, drummer from Foo Fighters, um, passed away at this point a couple weeks ago. Three weeks ago? Two weeks ago? I don't know. Something like that. But whatever, whatever it was, um, you know, it was something that really, like, sent me down this, like, spiral rabbit hole. You know, for whatever reason, I've never been a big Foo Fighters fan um, at all. But for whatever reason, him passing away, like, had a a pretty – it affected me quite a bit. So I started doing a lot of research um, uh, on on Taylor and, you know, looking up interviews and all kinds of stuff. And one of the songs um, that he said was probably the most beautiful song ever written – was um, The Air That I Breathe by The Hollies. Is that the one, correct? Yes, that's the one. So Brian and I have conversations 
about, you know, what interesting songs, because it used to be when we started the podcast, we would put a song on at the end that would be sort of a, an Easter egg to the next interview. But we, we stopped doing that. We just started to just add on fun tunes at the end of the podcast. So I brought this up to Brian. He's like, I really want to put the song on because I've been listening to it nonstop for the last couple of weeks since he passed away. And it's a completely beautiful song. And I, I know I didn't tell Brian about this, but he said the same thing. He was like, that is bizarre because I have been listening to that song too for the last couple of weeks, like nonstop. So we're going to have it's that true. a part of the, the podcast at the end, but I don't know. I just, there was something about it that, that really affected me, you know, him passing away. And, and, and I think it was his, <clears throat> his love of, of just being, um, you know, in the, the spotlight, but also hating being in the spotlight as well. He hated uh, having to, you know, deal with the anxieties of going on stage. And, you know, and I, I, I had like a really, really um, big moment with that. And, 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 I, and I told Dave about this, too. All the times that I've had to go up and speak on, on um, you know, on stage and do presentations or play a solo or anything like that. I get super anxious. My, my performance anxiety uh, is goes through the roof. And, and to see somebody like that and to hear somebody like that uh, have those issues, it, like it really hit close to home. Um, and then, you know, and then I started to talk about that with Dave too. You know, I, I think what I'm trying to say is that we're a lot more similar than we are apart in terms of that. You know, it's, it's not that easy to just get up there and, and, and just act like everything is okay. Um, so, well, you, you know, and one interesting thing about that is that, like, I don't even think that it gets better in time, like with, you know, the more that you do it. I think it's 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 something like I, for some people, I think it gets worse with time and with, with with the quantity of times that you've done it. I mean, I don't know how many times I've done it, but, uh, you know, and so, sometimes it doesn't exist at all. But sometimes it's there, man. You know, like it's it's a. Uh, like it's, it's hard. It's hard to deal with that. And I can't imagine having to do it every single day. Um, every single day yeah. Like yeah. So I've done I, it. What I did when I did, sorry, Brian, I, when I did basic in 2013 with the Patriots and, and I had to do that presentation, um, it was out in Indianapolis. I prepared for that, um, you know, months in advance. I, I worked on it quite a bit, but it wasn't until I got to Indianapolis that it just like, hit me like, Oh man, I have to go on stage. And if I don't, I, I felt honestly, I felt if I don't nail this right now with the group, uh, it's going to be a complete failure and all these opportunities that I really wanted to have continue happen. They were just going to disappear. So I stayed in my hotel room, I, I three days in a row leading up to it. Like I didn't go out at all. I went out very minimally. I, I went out, you know, out for food and stuff like that. The Patriots came in, in 15 passenger vans and they all wanted to go out and have a drink and, you know, have dinner and all that. And I just, I couldn't even do that. So I stayed at home making myself sick over it and it turned out okay. So, you know, I don't know. Well, you know, it, it is, you know, like I don't, I don't have, I don't do the types of clinics that you guys do, you know, these high level clinics at, at very big, uh, you know, high, you know, big end events and stuff, but just, just from performance anxiety, what I, what I'm going to be doing this year, you know, with the Creek and with uh grand Republic and Switzerland and stuff. I mean, I'm worried about it, you know, and I get, I'm more worried about this stuff now than I was 
10 years ago, and I don't exactly know why. And I think half of it is what I put on myself. And I think the other half of, of it is the expectation, you know, for the core to be as good as, as it can possibly be. And I'm a part of that, just like that guy is a part of it. And that woman is a part of it. So I think we all kind of feel the pressure and it, it does, it, it, it grates on you. So like, if you look at, if you look at Hawkins, so, um, and this is kind of an interesting dichotomy in some ways. So, so Dave Grohl went through this in the same way with Kurt Cobain, because Kurt Cobain was the same exact way. You know, he could not, he was very, very sensitive to pressures and performance stuff. And he didn't like it. He just didn't like it. Right. So, so then, so Grohl then, you know, hooks up with, with Hawkins and he's, he's running into the same thing. And, you know, so it's, so the point is it's probably more prevalent than we even know, you know? Right. You know, like I've gone, you know, I've seen, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash live and David Crosby, I can tell you, didn't give a shit about how he played because he often sucked so bad because he was so drunk, you know, he didn't, he didn't care, but you know, you know, guys like Hawkins and, and apparently us and others are, they don't, we don't feel that way. We don't, you know, we want to be good, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think part of it is, as you were saying, Brian is like, you know, you're starting to worry about that stuff now, potentially. And, and, and that's the, that's the thing. Like if something, if one of these events was sprung on us, we'd probably be do better with that than if we have months to prepare and months to think about it. And, you know, and then, and then that turns into days and then it's like, Oh crap, this is right around the corner, you know? Um, and it's really builds up in your mind, you know? Um, yeah. Times times that people have said, hey, can you like go do a clinic? I know you ran into that in, in China, Brendan. Like, hey, go through this door. And on the other side is a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was crazy. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the good thing about China, though, is that the majority of the people, um, they have no idea what you're saying. So <laughs> you can say whatever you want. You'll have a translator there, you know, relaying what you're saying. But it just came down to that point of, you know, well, I'm just going to throw down on the drum and I'm going to play as best as I can. And um, and that worked out really well. We had uh, the Patriots did a, <clears throat> a clinic up in Yukon We're we're trying to uh, develop this this educational outreach uh, to to just get more people um, interested in Fife and Drum Corps, handing out plastic fifes handing out resources, just trying to, to let everybody know in the state of Connecticut, we have a a pretty cool thing called Fife and Drum. And this is, you know, pretty much the hotbed in America is, is in Connecticut. I mean, I think so anyways. Um, So I had that clinic all set, ready to go. And it came to like the last 20 minutes before and I was freaking out. Oh no, no, oh, no. What am I going to do? And then when it came to it, it turned out to be pretty good. I realized that I use humor. I figure out ways to, to sort of, uh, you know, interact with the crowd, um, you know, making jokes. Cause that's my personality is I'm a big goofball. Right. So if I, if I try to be somebody else up there that I'm not, then I'm completely out of my element. Right. I like that, Dave. We just doing so I'm, just, I'm just fitting in. Like we're all wearing hats and you changed hats like what three times already in this? <laughs> yeah, I have. So here we I are. Have. Yeah. 
No, no, but I no, but I get that. And you know, and I mean, maybe I mean, do we have do we have do we all have more performance anxiety now than we did ten years ago? Maybe we do. And why is that? I think you it's know? just different. Like as as you get older, um, you know, there there's a, a good quote um, that that Kara said actually. Um, I'm not going to say the whole thing, but wisdom is learning what f's to give less of. You know, which I, I think is actually a really there's yeah. there's a lot of truth to that. You know, but um, but on the other side, you know, I think that you're more kind of aware of, um, you know, what impact you can make, and and I think that that's the that's the big thing is like we want to put our best foot forward. We want to, um, you know, have positive, um, you know, impact on whether it's, you know, the, the, the culture of our music or we want to represent it well and stuff like that, you know? So like, that's for me, I want, I want to do that like to the best of my ability. And, you know, um, that's, that's where some of that anxiety comes from. Yeah. And that's, yeah. A, that's a super good point. Um, you know, because Fife and Drum is more relevant now than it has been globally the ever right it's not just this like pocket of of music that's happening within new england and then you got you know the old guard now in dc and you have midwest quarters in michigan and- right right so it's it's become more global and and with that you know uh people like well all three of us have really been out there a lot more we're a lot more seen and 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 suddenly people start to you know take a want to take a listen to what you have to say and, and what you're doing and what you're playing. And there's that, there is a pressure to that for sure. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I just, I found that to be very interesting and, and I, I thought it was even more weird that it's like, we're cycling, Brian, <laughs> 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 that we happen to be listening to the, the same song. And, and I didn't tell you anything about that. Um, it just happened to be Taylor Hawkins. He, he said, this was the most beautiful song that he thought was ever written rock rock song anyways. Yeah. So, and it's, and it's absolutely true. I, when you, when you brought that up, I connected with it immediately because I've been listening to that song a lot over the last, even more, you know, like maybe the last three or four weeks, I've listened to it a lot. I mean, so like when I went after you said that, I said, I'm going to go listen to it right now. And I brought it up, you know, uh, on my phone and it was right there. Cause I had listened to it so many times. I didn't even have to look for it, you know? So and it was pretty cool that that was the tune you said, Hey, we should put this on there right. because it, there's this connection. You know? And I, and I, and I could be wrong. I believe that Radiohead was sued over that song because the lot of the same chord structure, I believe in the, the chorus is the same that you will find in creep creep. creep. Yes. Increase. It does sound like that. It, it, yeah. it does have that type of vibe. But man, what a pretty song! And and uh, you know, I don't know. Just thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, no, it's cool, and I'm glad we're putting it in for sure. But we have a, a really awesome interview. We uh, interviewed Russ Piner from the Royal Marines. Um, I don't know. I, I thought we could have talked to him for hours and. And we, we could have kept going, but I think at one point we just said, you know, I think this is good. We're going to cap it here. Well, because it got to be like an hour and a half, and that's a lot for us. We, you know, we have we have capped off other interviews a lot quicker than that, you know. And but Russ Piner had a lot of 
I, I guess we had a lot of things to ask him and he certainly answered them well. And it was, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really good chat. I think people are going to like it. There's definitely room for more as well. Like we, we weren't even able to get through all the questions that we had, but uh, it was good conversations all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe there's a second, a second iteration in the future. Yeah, for sure. And this is also that interview. We're going to have it up on YouTube. That'll be our first time venturing uh, into the YouTube world. We'll have our regular podcast uh, on all of our uh, streaming um, places, but uh, the interview itself, we're going to put up on YouTube so you can get that video element. Hopefully we'll have that out a little bit after we get the podcast out. Yeah. Cool. I think that's great. Awesome. Well, you want to get well, to it? Yeah, let's, I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Yeah. yeah. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. are so fortunate and we are so excited to have today's guest. Russell Piner has performed alongside some of the world's absolute best drum lines, including the Top Secret Drum Corps, the West Point Hellcats, and the Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps. Russ is a serving member in the Corps of Drums of Her Majesty's Royal Marines. He's a fabulous rudimental drummer. He is also a composer 
and has written multiple compositions, and he gained his di diploma in snare drum and natural trumpet in 2012. In 2017, Russell became the bugle major training at the Royal Marines School of Music and is responsible for the development of all Royal Marines drummers and buglers. In 2016, Russ became a member of the United States National Association of Rudimental Drummers. Now that is NARD for the folks who are more accustomed with the acronyms of these organizations. In 2018, he was appointed to the Education Committee for SIRD, which is the Society of International Rudimental Drummers. Russ is also the lead organizer for the third International Rudimental Drummers Symposium taking place in Portsmouth, UK between the 16th and the 18th of September of this year. So as we like to say here in the States, this guy has the chops. Russ Piner, thank you for being here. Well, thank you. Thanks, Brian and uh, Brendan and Dave for inviting me on. It's an absolute pleasure to be here talking to you guys about drumming um, and just the, the whole sort of the whole kind of um, aspect. Great to see you, Russ. No, it's great to see you, Russ. Hey, Russ, so let me start off uh, right off the bat. Um, can you tell us about the influence that your dad had on the instrumental uh, side of, of adapting the rudimental uh, drumming for the Royal Marines? Um, you know, changing it over sort of to that uh, pipe band style. Can you elaborate on the work that your dad did? Yeah, so my dad's quite an interesting uh, character in the Royal Marines. Um, he's kind of synonymous with the the direction the Royal Marines core drums went from the sort of late 60s uh, all the way through to when he left in, in uh, 91. Um, uh, so before he before he joined or kind of when, when he was a younger drummer, um, the Royal Marines core drums were very kind of based in tradition, you know, whatever that is, but um, playing the traditional tunes, uh, they weren't really kind of experimenting with any sort of drumming. Uh, you know, even like rudimental drumming, um, it kind of died died out in 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 the, in the UK really, um, because you know as you've probably seen us, we do a lot of the, the stick drill. Uh, um, movements, which kind of it's more sort of visual. Um, so there's all lots of very simple rhythms, uh, simple uh, tunes that they would play. Um, but my dad, my dad joined um, in the late uh, sort of early early 1940s. Uh, sorry, early 1950s. 53, he joined, um, and then as a young young bugler, learning, you know, they weren't they weren't taught particularly well back back in those days. You know, it's sort of like here's a pair of drumsticks, here's a bugle, right? Um, you know, make sure your gear's all cleaned, otherwise you're going to be uh, you know clean, cleaning it all weekend sort of thing. Um, so the, the training wasn't particularly great. <clears throat> But he, he, he soon found that he had quite a, a bit of a, a affinity for drumming and, and a passion for drumming. Um, and that really sparked when he got sent to, um, uh, went and served up in Scotland band, um, obviously pipe band drummers around. Uh, he got involved in one of the local pipe bands um, and that's where he sort of really opened his eyes. Um, his pipe band drum teacher, she was actually a taught by Alex Duthart. Um so you know wow. he he was a massive inspiration for my dad you know um 
he got into that, that style of drumming, learning all the rudiments, learning all the pieces, the different marches, the strasbays, um, entered competitions. And he thought, you know, this is amazing. You know, why, why aren't we doing this? You know, it's like on our doorstep, there's these absolutely fantastic world-class drummers mm -hmm. up in Scotland. And yet the other side of the border, you know, not so many miles away uh, in England, you know, did, nothing's happened. Nothing's moved on for, you know, 100 years, you know, nothing's really moved on. Um, so he wanted to bring that into the Royal Marines. He wanted to kind of show that there was more to drumming than just lifting your drumsticks um, and playing British Grenadiers. You know, he wanted to, to to write some more stuff, you know, and to um, create a kind of a, a much more kind of rudimental style of drumming. So how he did that, uh, he just started writing, composing. Um, he wrote lots of pieces. Um, there was quite a bit of resistance back in the day, but my dad's a very stubborn person. He didn't let that stop him. You know, he he persevered, um, got some of the other good drummers around him together, uh, and they all sort of bounced off, off each other. Um, and it took a long time, but within about probably a good sort of five, six, seven years, um, he created this kind of a, a bit of a movement in the branch. Sorry, in the, in the War Marines Corps drums. Um, <clears throat> some of the younger people were coming through. They were hearing what he was what he was writing what he was playing um and and that really just sort of you know started a very slow process of, of progressing um and his style of drumming uh, which is a very um uh, sorry very sort of scottish uh, influence um that continued right through to the sort of the 80s so a good sort of 15 years he was he was writing in that style um and then from from him another generation came through Equally inspired by by Scottish drumming, but having come over to, over to the States and you know and seen the old guard perform and seen Blue Devils and these other drum calls, um, different styles of American drumming, we started getting more influenced by American drumming. But I think my dad is credited as starting that kind of revolution of pushing up pushing our drumming uh, to what it is sort of today, really. I, I always found it interesting. And, and the first time that we met, and I, I could be wrong, I, I might have misheard you uh, say this, but um, it felt like the the traditional style of, of British military drumming, it never really stuck through the years because they didn't want to associate it with losing times in war. Did I hear that correctly? Something along those lines? Uh, yeah, well, because it was uh, PASIC, wasn't it? 2015, I think, yep. when we first met. Uh, I have a quite a few drunken beers so i may have been talking total rubbish yeah. but uh <laughs> but yeah that sounds that sounds familiar yeah so um for reason and i'm still not being able to get to the bottom of it obviously the brits with the british empire you know we sort of took over to the you know, colonial america where you guys you know you you latched onto it you developed it uh, you know through the kind of the um early 20th century uh whereas in the uk it kind of just died out you know we still had tradition and we're still very proud of it and you know you see the british army drummers right. um they're still rooted in that tradition um but i say tradition because the, the the stick work that we do um you know that's not that old really that's only kind of maybe 100 years old 120 years old um <clears throat> But for, for whatever reason, um, the rudimental drumming just sort of died away. And, and because of that, you know, and you'll see it today, I, I see it today in the UK, 
it's very difficult to get good, you know, young drummers through because they're not necessarily focused on the rudimental side of things. And I think, you know, for the, certainly for the Royal Marines, one of our sort of strings to our bow is is the visual side of what we do. Right. Um, but I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword, really, because you know that takes away from the actual drumming. You know, if, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I kind of. Personally, I think maybe the, the visuals took away from the, the rudimental drumming, um, and part of the sort of thing which we're trying to do today, uh, certainly the Royal Marines, but across you know England, is trying to get more young people learning about rudiments, playing rudiments. Um, our style is you couldn't necessarily call it a a pure rudimental style because we will just you know throw anything in really, and it's not like it's not build up of rudiments per se. Um, but it's still very important to, to our style. Um, yeah. yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no. Yeah. That absolutely <laughs> does. So, but, you know, and I think we'd love to get back to uh, talking a little bit about what you just alluded to a moment ago about, you know, getting young kids to do some rudimental drumming. But what you said a little while ago, you're, you know, you were talking about the dates that your dad got involved. So he got involved really young. He was, he was pretty young when he got involved because you're not an old guy either, you know? So, well, you know, somewhat, not as old <laughs> as me, but yeah. so was he, so was he the most influential part of you getting into drumming uh, or was there something else? Was it uh, something you saw, some event you went to, some celebration you attended. I'm assuming it was your dad, but I don't know that for sure. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was absolutely my dad. He, um, you know, we'd be sat in a car waiting for my mum to get in from work or whatever. Um, and we'd just be sat in the front and he'd be on the dashboard, you know, playing paradiddles. Right. You know, testing me with the different, you know, the, the old paradiddle pyramids thing, you know. Um, and I, 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 for some whatever reason, I just really that really excited me, uh, sort of clicked with me. You know, it's, it was almost like a, a puzzle challenge. These little, um, you know, fairly fairly basic, I suppose, little rudimental patterns, but putting them together and and actually being able to see that kind of, uh, you know, when it clicks, when you suddenly get understand what it is you're trying to play, and then you see my dad like, oh, quite, yeah, you you got that, you got that quicker than I did, you know, sort of thing. Um, and seeing his reaction, that kind of spurred me on. So that was definitely my where my love for drumming began. Right. And I still, I still love, um, you know, finding new rudiments or um, <clears throat> new exercises, you know, and putting them together and waiting for that 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 moment where it clicks and you suddenly you can play it. You know, it, it's a strange thing, but it's um, it's kind of addictive. Um, so yeah. So he he obviously inspired me. He taught me. He he. Um, he taught loads of my generation how to drum. We had a we had a cadet band, mm-hmm. um, uh, which, which was pretty. Uh, you know, you got pretty good in the 1980s uh, to the early 90s, um, and that was all you know, for the drummers. Certainly, it was all, all down to him. Um, he also taught my brother, and my brother was in the War Marines, um, core drums. So, you know, he went on and he he became the, the core bugle major. So the, the boss of all the all the buglers uh, and drummers. Um, so you know, he was he was an inspiration as well. You know, because he he did his own thing, and it, it's difficult because my dad Alan, he was such a big part of the Royal Marines. You know, everyone knew who my dad was. You know, 
wherever you went. Ah, oh, you're Al's son, you know, and people would even call me Alan, you know, because that's, that's the only partner they knew. Um, and then when he left, everyone knew my brother, you know, because he was going before me. So everyone, everyone called me AJ because <laughs> everyone thought that I was AJ. Um, so it's difficult. You're trying to create your own path. And I think I've done that. I think I've been able to kind of... Uh, probably more so follow my dad's steps with you know really kind of the passion for drumming my brother enjoyed drumming as well oh but you know he, he he did other things you know whereas i society you know meeting up with um drummers from across the world you know that's been really my kind of my thing that i've, I've tried to kind of push and open people's eyes that you know it's not just what we do you know in the, in the Royal Marines there's a whole world of drumming out there and the more we can engage and interact with these amazing drummers um, the better we're going to be you know because we're only as, as good as our best person at the moment but you know if we can we can broaden our horizons so, so yeah something that you mentioned um, and you and I have talked about this before as well but but you, you use the, the the term um, that that it, it kind of died. That the that the tradition kind of died. That the um, that the British military had, or the British rudimental style. Um, so as I kind of piece that together in my own mind, it seems like a, you know, I mean, it's centuries of of military and and um, some sort of rudimental style throughout that time, and it kind of got skeletonized, um, you know, just from the the decades and the centuries, um, you know, and then your dad kind of, kind of, kind of reinvigorated that with more of the Scottish style. And now you're, you're sort of bringing it back to the more traditional, um, more similar to, uh, an American style, but maybe with some other, other influences. Can you talk about some of those, those influences and what the end goal is in your mind, um, for the drumming style? Yeah, so you know, I, I say it died in the UK. I, I think it's more; it just never developed, and um, people didn't really understand. You know, and this, this is me you know, guessing, uh, surmising. You know, I, I can't I can't speak for everyone and you know, all, all drummers in the UK, but um, in my mind, it kind of it never developed. So drummers in the UK didn't understand the, the importance of rudimental uh, drumming. You know what, and, and the technique. You know, even you know, we talk about rudiments, but obviously before that, there's a whole technique before that that you need to sort of understand. Which, you know, you see, you see, you see miniature drummers, and they just haven't got that understanding. Um, so one of my, you know, one of my hopes, and what I hope we can we can do, and you know, the Royal Marines is looked upon in the UK as the kind of the the most kind of elite drum line in, in UK. Um, and hopefully that will inspire young people to um, to practice and, and understand this stuff. You know, we're we're pushing out material about you know the stroke types, about the different rudiments, uh, all again, all all from from the states really, because you guys you figured it out. You know, you you worked out <laughs> these rudiments, and but behind the rudiments there's a whole underlying alphabet of of different um, uh, stroke types and. So just getting that education pushed out—that's that, that's my main main aim really—is to try and get that that word out. Um, well, the, the kids that I teach, you know, I try and start with that, you know, and try and build that from there. You know, and and, and that's interesting as well because, like, when 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 we're talking, at least when I'm talking about the the history of the American 
um, rudimental drumming. I actually refer quite a bit back to the European traditions and, and um, you know, even even the, the, the British um, traditions, because that was our tradition until a certain point, <laughs> you know, but uh, um, mm. yeah, so yeah. It, it, it's interesting that we're all kind of passing the buck around on, on that one, but it's like, it's, it's becoming a lot more, global, <laughs> as, as you said, you know, and it, it's, that's super cool just yeah. to see, to see where things go, try to mash it all up together and kind of figure it out. Yeah. Well, cause I, th I think we, you know, what we were good at, we, we, we kept, hold of the the traditions the um the ceremonies uh, understanding where certain things come, came from uh, and recording that but what we didn't do is apply the technique and the techniques and to to be a good you know um across the whole of england you know having good rudimental drummers there are in the uk there are good rudimental drummers but that's normally because they've um they've studied american drum corps you know, we've got a lot of good um, drum corps drummers in the UK. Um, but military-wise, military it's it's seen more as a ceremonial thing rather than a, a, a musician, a musical thing. You know, it's, um, for instance, the army drummers, you know, they, they're, where they learn how to drum and bugle and fife, it's the school of cer uh, ceremonial. Um, and it's kind of dislocated from the, the music side of things. Um, and that was the same for the Royal Marines. You know, Royal Marines up until 1977, um, we were kind of fighting, part of the fighting commando uh, forces, you know, we were part of the units. Um, our drumming and bugling was a kind of a, almost a secondary role. Um, but then late seventies, we got brought into the band service and then we were able to develop our training um, and really improve and that was you know, for a lot of people at the time i imagine it was a bit of an upheaval because they enjoyed being in those environments and being part of the, the kind of fighting arm of the war marines um but as a as an organization trying to move forward you know we, we would never be where we are now if we hadn't moved over um whereas you know for our army army drummers our counterparts in the army they still are very much a fighting part of the army you know they're like machine gunners and uh, the likes so drumming is a secondary role so but the main thing is if we can get education out early enough to there's hundreds of thousands of young drummers cadets um youth youth bands uh, across the uk and it's just trying to get that that message across you know that, and that's again that's that's what i'd like to try and try and encourage a bit more of you know that that education and today you know with the internet um this, you've got so much you can you can take off the internet youtube online lessons the likes so okay so that's a really good point so um so covid has kind of uh, over the last couple of years it's kind of moved us into uh you know zoom rehearsals online uh instruction and all that kind of stuff so and and we are talking a lot about you know bringing up rudimental drummers and you know, and bringing up buglers uh, in, in your world. So what are some of the challenges or even opportunities that you have seen currently uh, in bugle and drum instruction? And and this is a this is kind of a tricky thing because I think it's a I think it goes both ways. But, you know, like a lot of people say, COVID has kind of hurt 
uh, instruction, but I think it's actually created a few opportunities at the same time. But I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that, like what you're going through now. Yeah, well, uh, so I um, just for before COVID uh, kicked in and, and the lockdown started in, in the UK, um, we sort of reinvigorated a, a local cadet unit, uh, cadet bands based on the Royal Marines. Um, so we, we literally got set up. We had about 10, 10 cadets, you know, and it's, it's a band. It's a cadet band. Um, we had about 10 cadets before lockdown. We just got a new kind of facility. Um, we had all the instruments ready to go and then lockdown happened. <laughs> so yeah. we're like, Oh great. You know, we, we, we've not even got started and we're going to have to kind of uh, wrap it up. Right. But what we were able to do is we we're able to offer online lessons. So twice a week, every young person in the organization, you know, we, we had um, lots of members of the warming's band service because they were not necessarily working because there's, you know, the, the gigs weren't out there, so they were stuck at home. So I roped in loads of instructors like clarinet, obviously I was doing drumming, bugle, um, cornet, you know, whatever. Uh, roped them in, and then basically twice a week for three hours a night, we would all get on Zoom, and then the kids would have, have lessons on, on Zoom. And because we were doing that, because we were being active, <clears throat> and it was free, uh, the word got around, you know, that they're, they're offering free music lessons. So we grew from say 10 uh and then when we came back out of lockdown we had like four, 40 wow. cadets. yeah so we like it's it crazy really so without that you know without having that facility online lessons and i think we all felt that we all got a bit of um zoom burnout didn't we you know doing online quizzes and stuff and it just got too much but yeah for you sure know, i was I was, <laughs> I was glad to see the back of it and get back in in um face to face but you know that really was amazing that we were able to, to grow that that much. Um, as far as like the Royal Marines, um, for a few years we've been trying to do more uh, sort of collaborative learning online, um, putting all our resources online, being able to access it. Um, but the programs we were using, so being in the military, you can't, you know, we were using like civilian products. Um, and they were probably just, Slightly behind the curve, you know, I think if it had been six months later, I think they would have been bang on. But um, but the military, they, they developed um, sort of better online, uh, like hosting tools, basically kind of like a, like a Google Drive sort of thing for, for the War Marines, uh, sorry, for, for, the, for the military. Um, <clears throat> so what we've done recently, we've, we've tapped into that and we've got all of our courses that we run have been put, you know, have been made digital and all the resources are on there. Um, our entire library of music is on there, so you know you'd, you'd have a piece, of, you'd have a score come up. There'll be an audio track on there on the same page. You know, people can get it on their phones. Uh, a lot of our stuff is visual, so we'll have a, a, a video as well. So if if there's a new a, a gig coming up in a week's time, you know you don't have to get all the guys and girls in together to rehearse. You can say, right, we've got this gig. This is the music. These are the dots. Go away, learn it. We'll come in the day before or two days before and we'll, we'll run through it. So that's really, that's, that's a massive advance, you know. And we've been wanting to get there for probably about 10 years now, but the technology has just sort of caught up. And I think this, the whole pandemic has just sort of sped that, sped that along, isn't it, really? Um, and also today, you know, we're able to do this. 
and, and see seeing some of that stuff that, that you guys have done with the you even have an app right <laughs> yeah for for a, for a lot of that stuff and i mean you're mm-hmm. really at the forefront of of bringing some of that technology into this and and um i mean i, I think that's super inspirational especially as we Everybody's trying to figure out. Okay, how do we deal with now? We're in a pandemic. Okay, no, nobody's seeing each other face to face, and I think that uh, you know that that type of system can really thrive. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, we really we're all learning from it. We've got a really busy summer coming up. Um, so we've got our big uh, beating retreat. It's a big um, big parade band with about two hundred and fifty musicians on parade for the Royal Marines. That's in London. So we've got that going on. We've got um, all the Queen's Jubilee celebrations happening. And there's, there's so much going on, like pretty much we've got, um, well, 50 drummers and buglers, kind of active drummers, buglers, and every single person for the whole, pretty much the whole of May into June, um, is pretty much working solidly, you know, different things, events. Um, so Phil Hawkins, uh, you, you may know he's the core bugle major, so him and, and the core drum major, Chris Mace, they've literally just had to kind of block out the whole of those two months and kind of micromanage where everyone, every individual person needs to be at you know a certain time. But part of that jigsaw puzzle is is the online stuff, you know, because people just haven't got time to get together for for very long before each each um, each serial. So people are going to be sat on coaches learning the music, you know, as I go to the next gig, you know, pretty much. And, and, um, and you, and you, and the turnaround for musicians in the group is very quick, right? They, they, they have to be trained in a very limited amount of time. Whereas in the U S military musicians that uh, are brought in have had years of training. Some of these, these uh, musicians that you have in there really haven't been musicians before. And you have to sort of turn them into that kind of thing with a quick turnover. How is that? How quick is that turnover? Well, it's tough. Um, you know, and I wish we had the pool of people, you know, like you do in the States, you know, because music in in the high schools and college systems in America is is incredible. You know, it's so well supported. You have a huge talent pool there. Where in, in England, we've got lots of people who want to do the, you know, do the job and go to cadets and join youth bands. Um, but it's very hit and miss. You know, sometimes you get some great, great people through. Um, other times you get people who, well, one of our kind of big struggles is we, we play both the drum and the bugle. So you get someone through who plays a cornet. It's a pretty good standard, you know, he's going to be a good bugler, but it's hardly ever picked up a pair of sticks before. So yeah. we've got to build that into our training and vice versa. We get, um, kit players who, who come and join up, but they've never played a brass instrument. So our kind of, um, so Royal Marines Bugler's training is uh, two years long. That's the kind of the, the program. And it starts off assuming that this person's never played an instrument before. You know, hopefully for our audition process, we've man- we've managed to pick someone who's got a musical aptitude. They're able to, you know, they've got a bit of an ear on them. They can hear um, certain things. They've got a good, they've got rhythm, pulse. Um, they can read to a certain extent. And it's just, trying to bring out the inner musician that they've never really been, never really had. And we've got, you know, we've got fantastic um, instructors and professors of music that teach them, you know, some of the best in the country. Um, but it's basically, it's a two year cycle. 
Um, but what we do is if if someone's accelerating on a certain instrument, you know, they'll they'll take that assessment and they'll gradually chip away at their training. We just had a lad pass out um, kind of just over a year, which is which is pretty quick, really, because you've got to learn everything. You know, you've got to learn. He's got to learn how to um, not just the playing of the instrument and marching on parade, etc., but also academics, music history, harmony, right. elements of music, oral. And so, too. Yeah, and they do all their basic training. They do all their, um, you know, on the ranges and medical uh, stuff because one of the other roles in the band service is um, medical support right. in the um, field hospitals or on board ship. So there's all that baked into it as well. So there's a lot going on, you know, and uh, it's very busy. It's a busy job. We seem to be, um, the band service has shrunk slightly, you know, probably um, not since the 90s, but it, it has reduced quite a bit. But our workload has, has only increased. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's, they're working, you know, solidly. And, and the core drums, especially, they got their re- repatriations, last posts, you know, service funerals. Um, and the tricky thing with them is, is it will be, um, you know, the, the the sergeant in charge of the core drums has planned out his week, you know, rehearsals and things. And then a funeral comes in. So, well, two, three, two, three funerals come in. So those people are out of the, out of the office then. So those rehearsals don't quite work. So <laughs> it's a big old juggling act. So they've got to be, everyone's got to be adaptable and, you know, coming back to the online stuff has, has helped that. So, so just going back to, to your father, um, obviously he was instrumental in, in, in changing uh, the, the way that the Royal Marines uh, looked at rudimental drumming and, and you yourself um, have been very influential in taking it to the the next step, right? How difficult is it to get something like that pushed across the military? I mean, how how many roadblocks do you have before you can get an idea across? Honestly, well, it's we're incredible. Lucky, because, yeah. Well, we're fairly lucky, really, because no one really knows what we do. <laughs> All the other, you know, we we kind of run ourselves, you know. And as long as um, we're not doing something totally crazy. Um, we pretty much write write the rule book our, ourselves. Um, clearly, there's a kind of a, a left and right of arc of where we sit, you know, in tradition, which is generally normally the, the stick work. Um, and you know, we push the boundaries every now and then. We'll kind of eke forward. Um, you think you've seen it all, and there's nothing else we can do, and then someone will come up with another idea. You know, right. I mean, I've even thought of that, and you know, so. Um, where, where does that Writing come from? Where, where does the stick work come from? Because I think that's one of the questions that we didn't have have uh, uh, on here. Um, and I, and I, it's so precise and it looks so dangerous. I, I can't imagine how many broken notes the trainees must have uh, as they're learning this type of thing. But it's 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 a beautiful thing and it's very unique um, to to what you guys do. So where does that come yeah. from? Um, the short answer: We don't really know. Um, what we used to say was that it was a, a form of semaphore on the on the battlefield, you know, so you could the drummers could see each other. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think I think where it comes from is it comes from rudimental drumming, because um, like you guys in the states, you know, you have the kind of the, right. know, the open so you know that there's some um, I found some old photographs from sort of late 19th, early 20th century, and then you know like this and there. 
and it's just just as you guys do you know showing the rudiment showing where the sticks are for the for the different rudiments and it's just a, a sort of a flourish that has gradually developed you know in, into that position right um and again you know one of my kind of um sort of home-baked ideas is that the influence of german composers and, uh, and music into british you know royalty and british society upper society um we went from playing kind of more sort of closed rudimental style or close rudimental style to a more kind of like or you know kind of six eight rhythms just yeah. more simple rhythms which i think allowed then for the development of you know simple stick work because you can play mm. you can play ta 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 and still have the visuals with it mm. and i think it became just a like a fashionable thing to do um and that, and that just develops and not and the war marines you know we through the 1950s we developed it where we would so the, the core drums kind of post war um were sort of spread out, were spread out across the fleet so every ship had you know at least two or three buglers on on the ship you know because they would be playing the calls um but in 1950s they would bring them all back for this big beating retreat on horse guards parade in london um fronting the band as well because normally the, the drummers would be at the back of the, of the bands but we uh, at a certain point in, in in the 20th century we uh, i think in 19 1905 i want to say i got that wrong um we, we put the drums at the front you know so again because it's uh, this whole visual thing um so we brought them all was together that, was, that, was that purely for visual or was there another purpose of bringing the drums up front i think because they were the kind of um just a, such a visual thing it, it was you know because they, they started doing the stick work by then um that um that they, they they put them in the front of the band you know it was on a church parade and i can't think of the name of the band master <clears throat> kicking myself um but he, he he just did it once you know and it was like a local thing um and he liked it so he kept it going and then that sort of cottoned on to the other bands around around the country Right. And it then, makes a lot of sense with the um, with the heraldry that's on the on the instruments as well, you know. So yeah. that, like you can see exactly who you're looking, who, who you're watching, and you right. know, and, and see the whole history right there. Yeah, yeah. Because the sorry, no, no, no. I was just gonna no. I was gonna say by by the way, uh, this is the first um, uh, podcast that we're gonna have on video here. Um, and, and, uh, Brian keeps coming back with a different hat on. I think every single time he comes back to the camera. So I'm hoping that he can keep this going. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I have so many hats, man. I have so many hats. Well, you should have said, I've got, I've got a bunch of hats at work. I could have yeah. brought them in. Could have, have a hat off. <laughs> yeah. so for those of you that want to watch us on video, you'll get to see Brian's, uh, Brian's hats. <laughs> yeah. your own hat while you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I have a question about that, um, Russ. We were talking about a, a little bit about the school, um, and I, I do find it interesting that the old guard fife and drum corps were in an old stable building um, from the, the the mid 1800s. You guys are in a prison, <laughs> mm. yeah. Uh, which uh, quite literally, actually, it's it's actually a really neat place. Pretty cheap. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes practice rooms galore. Right, right. <laughs> a little, a little yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it's such a unique place. You know, and you couldn't, 
you would never be able to build something, you know, as bespoke as as how that is, you know, because we've got our big um, what was the so the, the the site is the old detention quarters for the Royal Navy. Um, that closed its doors in ninety say 94 95 um uh, no it's probably a bit before that actually uh yeah early, early 90s it closed its doors um and it was just sat there it's a it's a like listed building so they couldn't knock it down you know it's a, a heritage building um and there were, the royal navy was having to pay for the heating and the upkeep of it so it was just sat there um around the same time the royal marine school of music in deal um sort of like east southeast england um, it ended up just being the Royal Marines band rattling, you know, there's a huge camp um, and it was just the Royal Marines band there. So it wasn't economical. So around the same time, these two things happened and they, um, they brought them in, they brought the Royal Marines school music into the detention quarters, but it, it's, it's ideal because the big, the big block we've got, the sort of the prison cells, uh, I think there's about a hundred cells in there. Um, you know, it's big, like three foot thick, you know, brick walls, um, you know, and it's just ideal. So every single trainee student has got their own practice room, which, you know, you go to like some of the top colleges in London uh, and around the country, music colleges, and, you know, they've got to book out time slots for, you know, the limited amount of rooms they've got. So it is, is amazing, really. It's a, it's a nice little um, like enclave in the middle of the huge um, dockyard, dockyard mm-hmm. there. Yeah, and so to 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 stay on the uh, prisoner theme here, um, mm-hmm. although I do want to ask if anybody's tried to burrow their way out using a trumpet or a bugle. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Sounds like it sometimes. Yeah, right, right. Um, so, um, That's funny. In, like, yeah, it, it, totally serious though. Um, do you find that that having the total immersion, that kind of immersion experience, it's not quite being a prisoner, but having the immersion of, of somebody being there um, for, you know, a year, for, for two years. Um, do you, do you find it's, it's better to start from square one with somebody, somebody who, who's kind of a blank slate um, and, and not have to untrain some of the things that, that maybe previous, previous experience has given, you know, if somebody's a drum set player, they might bring some things to the table already that you have to untrain. How do you, yeah. how do you experience that? Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it, that's that's the hardest thing when you've got somebody who's um, been taught well, been been taught wrong. They've they picked up the wrong techniques or uh, bad habits. Trying to unpick that is is really dif- difficult. Um, more so for the um, the bugle because you can only you know you, you're you can only play the bugle for so long. You know, you've got this quite a sensitive set of muscles in your mouth, so you can only do that for so long. Drumming, you know, you could pretty much drum all day really, you know, um, without injuring yourself too much. Um, <clears throat> but like we had a, uh, a guy, uh, in training, he was a, a jazz drummer, you know, so really good musician. He had a really good ear, great feel for music, uh, but never played a brass instrument before, but because he had that innate musical ability, you know, he picked up bugle really quickly. Well, not, not quickly. It takes time, but he kind of understood it and he was able to kind of, um, and our, our professor of music, um, Elaine Close, who teaches the, the, the cornet players and the, um, the buglers, um, she would much rather have someone like that than someone who's been taught the totally wrong techniques, you know, and the same for drumming as well. Um, 
because you've got to spend twice as long on picking that to then you know train them back in so it takes you know twice as long um and we don't always get it right you know because there's time pressures you know you've you've got to try and keep people moving through the um the syllabus you can only have them rotate a few you know so many times before you've got to say right you have to move you on and um you know occasionally we we lose people because you know, we've got to try and make sure we get the, the best products out the door right <clears throat> now so you're an excellent drummer obviously and it's been really cool to see you grow uh over the years but just how good of a bugle player are you still this <laughs> <laughs> is solo <laughs> okay. Next, if I come, on, if I come on again i'll bring i'll bring my bugle yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i would say i was okay i was all right there's a couple of youtube videos of me on online um you know and I we're actually, gonna check I them actually, out just to just to see just so okay. you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay send me a message see how i got on um okay i was i was okay um and i don't quite like playing the bugle i, I really enjoy playing the calls um, the thing with bugle is, is there's only so much you can do. You know, there's five, six notes. Repertoire is very limited. Um, you do, you do the calls, um, but that's it. You know, there's, there's no kind of, I suppose the, the most sort of um, melodic thing we get to play is bugle marches. Um, but they're very far and few between, you know, so uh, trumpet, trumpet is difficult because it is such a, you know, you, you've got to be so precise with it. And it's a, it's a, almost a different technique to the bugle. Um, so I was okay. If I was to play now, I'd probably, my stamina wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be up to much. You know, I'll probably be able to play a couple of calls and then my lip will be starting to go. But uh, yeah. I'll pick it up every now and then. I still do um, the odd, um, you know, private, private gig with a few of us. We go out and do, um, you know, like little, little displays. Bar mitzvahs. And I'm pro- yeah. Yeah, Brahmish's funerals and <laughs> weddings. Yeah. <laughs> lots of weddings. We do, we do lots of weddings actually. Yeah. <laughs> um I've done I've done I've done one funeral. I've never done a bar, bar mitzvah, but um <laughs> You're missing out, man. <laughs> I'm missing yeah, those out, are yeah. fun parties for sure. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, I think one of the greatest things about you is that you uh you know, obviously your your passion is to to grow rudimental drumming uh within the UK and and uh you know, through the the Royal Marines and, and other avenues and absurd and all that stuff. Um of all the techniques that you've you've kind of picked up along the way, what are some of the most poignant things that you've learned along the way? Um, well, I think one of the, and you know, you can think it's so obvious, you know, um, but I'd never really given it a second thought. Um, 2015, um, I had the chance to go out and work with, uh, the Hellcats at West Point. And I basically had like two weeks with, um, Jeff Prospery, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know, pretty cool. Pretty incredible. Uh, yeah. Um, no, sorry. I thought I'll go back, go back a step actually. So Mark Riley came out to the uk uh with you dave was that 2014 i think yeah, around there yeah it must have been 14 yeah. yeah that sounds right yeah um i think i think that was actually mark that initiated my eyes to the kind of the different the different stroke types you know i'd never never really heard that before um a good friend of mine who sadly passed away um bob armstrong he he spoke about it um, but I never quite fully understood it. But it was when, you know, when I met, met Mark, I kind of grasped it. But then when I went to uh, West Point in 2015, that's when I was actually able to expose myself 
not literally <laughs> be exposed to i should rephrase that um to, to that style of drumming you know um and having having a couple of weeks with um jeff was was incredible you know and from that point i was able to really kind of analyze what i was doing with, with my drumming you know because i remember i would play stuff and it would be like keep stopping me and say like keep your grace notes down keep your grace notes down you know I'm, my, my flams are up here you know so um so being able to kind of oh i get it i understand why why you were saying that because you know it's just so much more efficient isn't it it's, right. and, and, and that's the kind of the if you break it down to people you know you can make it so simple for kids when they're learning how to drum you can make such simple exercises but are really kind of targeted on that's going to make you a better player um rather than just just fumbling through hoping something will stick um which a lot of the time you know is what we, what used to happen that's what i used to do you know try and just do it do it for long enough and you, you, your arms and hands will figure it out whereas if you can you know doing things like um you know bucks exercises as simple as that you know you can you can make it quite fun um how do you guys find it teaching young you know youngsters um trying to keep them enthused do you i'm sort of throwing questions out, out to you now sorry uh i find that quite quite difficult where, well, where do you throw the line between repertoire and exercises and you know we've actually uh talked about this with a lot of guests on this podcast over the last couple of years and uh i think one general um uh, uh learning process we've gotten from those discussions is that it's more difficult today to uh, teach young kids because their attention spans are like everywhere. You know, they are they are taken up by so many things. And it's and it's not just it. And it's always been like, you know, soccer and football and, and other things, you know, but now it's there are so many other things that that are kind of connected to the internet and um so many distractions that i think it's i think it's harder than it's ever been to keep kids enthused like we've talked about breaking down rudiments like breaking down a paradiddle on the snare drum you know which sucks you know it's not a fun <laughs> thing to do but it used to be when we were young it was a an essential part of your learning process. And now it's kind of hard to get a kid to do that, you know? Yeah. 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 I always find it a battle between doing the stuff, which I know is important and that's going to make them a better player in the long run, but also keeping their attention and, and teaching them some repertoire so they can go out and, and perform, you know, and, right. and almost just accepting that, they're not going to go out great and they'll eventually they'll learn because they want to become better right. and just, you know, trying to toe that line all the time of right. really, teaching them something. I'm actually really curious about what, what Brendan has to say about this. Um, Cause mm, you know, yeah. we, um, like uh, I've worked with some kids and, and I, and I find it almost that I want to work on too, too many techniques with them instead of just yeah, having something very and kind of, kind of let it, um, let things sink in and, you know, and I, I, I try to pack too much into too small of a time period. Um, what are your thoughts, Brennan? Um, I, I think, <clears throat> well, a couple of things for me, the pandemic really, uh, opened up, um, my eyes and my way of, of thinking about 
what my educational philosophy was uh, because you had to do something on a screen and these kids were already on screens to begin with um, and, and having to, to be on Zoom or uh, Google Meet or whatever. Um, so you had to figure out ways to keep them engaged for that hour and to keep it fun. Um, what I found is that I, had to, I, I couldn't talk about technique that much. Um, I had to talk about, you know, what the sound is that they were trying to get out of the drum or, or the playing surface. Um, but in terms of like teaching rudiments, I found the, the John Wooten, uh, Dr. Throwdown rudimental remedy book to be a huge lifesaver, uh, because all of a sudden we're, we're talking about and teaching, um, students how to play rudiments, but in a completely different application. They're playing, you know, paradiddles to African sambas, and uh, you know, they're playing uh, drag paradiddles to funk music, and and so there were tracks that were developed uh, with different tempos to go to these different rudimental exercises. And there's many things that are on the tracks, um, rudimental um, style, listically things that I, I I didn't really agree with. So I would just divert and change it to the way that I would want him. Uh, or her to play that particular type of thing. Um, but man, I, I, I think that it, just trying to keep it fun um, and simplistic. And when you, when you give the kid a, a carrot to kind of strive for, um, you know, they'll start to go for that carrot and then you can just try to add on more. But I, I think you're right, Dave, trying to add on yeah. too many things in the beginning is, is super tough. Um, yeah. it, it's overwhelming for kids. You really have to keep it simple. Yeah, I'd often find that they they surprise you. You know, if you, um, you know, you you, you think, oh, you know, we're not we're not quite at that point yet of uh, of playing that that piece. But you know, you 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 chuck it in there, you know, for them to learn, for something to learn. Um, again, just trying to keep keep their interest, and then they'll come back, you know, a week later and they've nailed that, and they've also learned the thing which you were trying to achieve before, but they were too bored to. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I think it's. Keep it seems fun, like setting, setting you... challenges more than setting goals, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been very cool, you know, and, and, and it's been good to get away from the, oh, the old way. And I listen, I still show kids how to run down rudiments, um, but it's no longer the, the cornerstone of, you know, my education as it once was. I, I think it's an important thing, and I think there's a lot to be – uh, developed in terms of quality of sound and stylistically how you play the rudiments. Um, but I, I think just being able to catch up with the times and like realize, you know, what I learned, you know, 20, 30 years ago is not what these kids want to be listening to right now. And you have to adapt to that. And, and that's, mm. that's how it's going to survive. You know, and, and that's something interesting as well, though, like the, the attention span is much shorter, as Brian was saying, but there's also the potential that, that they're able to capture information quicker and have it and retain it faster in smaller chunks. You know, so like and I don't know enough to, to say that I that that is the case, but, you know, that it's just a different world and there's different there's different techniques that that, that might come out on top. And I, and I and I can I'm, I'm maybe speaking out of turn here, but but Brian, um, you know, we can use Brian as an example. I don't think you really learned how to read music for a good chunk of your your playing when you were a, a kid, right? That is correct. That is correct. I learned how to read music later. And I find that the kids are are retaining that information, but they're also understanding how to read music. They're understanding these little intricacies that are on a score sheet that. 
you know, the drummer of, of 40 years ago never would have been able to, to grasp. So that I think is that correct. The, the talent yep. level and, and the, the growth um, has grown exponentially, even though it might be a smaller pocket of, of kids. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting one with the reading music. Cause that's why I learned without reading music, you know, I, I understood a little bit of it, um, but it was mainly, you know, monkey see, monkey do. Right. Thing, you know, um, Whereas, you know, and I have that battle now, um, you know, trying to teach the music as well. But you've only got a certain finite amount of time and you want to them as well. So you're kind of juggling these, all these different things. But I do think if you can teach them early, because they're, you know, they are like sponges, you know, you, okay, they, they always surprise me how quick they can pick things up. So just trying to even, even have a little bit of, um, a bit of music theory in the yeah. in the lesson as well, just you know piecemeal. Like I say, little bits of information, but they'll all piece it together. Eventually. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, like I I I always understood that, like as you know, like kids kids can pick up instruments a hell of a lot faster than adults can, just for whatever reason. You know, like I'm trying to learn how to play the banjo, and if if I had tried to learn to play the banjo when I was 15, as opposed to my current age, I think I would have picked it up so much sooner just because that's the way it is, you know? Yeah. What, what, one of the things that I, I find interesting too is, is, and maybe Dave um, has the same experience, but when I look at my son picking up a pair of sticks and I just see him play I, I think to myself, that is the most beautiful way of playing the snare drum. And, and as, as adults, you, you try to you, you learn a lot more things and you, you realize that you are totally overthinking the entire thing. Here's a kid that just naturally brings up the stick and it's just like, holy crap, you know, that, that, that's it. That's the answer. And that, that goes back to, to what we were saying about bad habits. You know, I mean, like we've created not only every time we pick up a drumstick, but it, every time we, we do anything, you know, I mean, like we're, we're creating those bad habits. And, and there are a lot of motion things that I think, yeah, we, we can certainly learn from kids on just the way to move efficiently. If you've ever done squats as a part of an exercise and then like take a look at a toddler, do it like when they're just kind of sitting on their haunches there they have perfect squat form it's amazing yeah you see kids pick up something you know like toddlers pick up something you know they're not using their back they're using their legs you know you see right. the correct way the, the collects sort of manual handling technique to pick up a box you know right, right. <laughs> whereas we, we we learn bad habits don't we or we yeah we give ourselves bad habits yeah. we do we do <laughs> But that that that's certainly a challenge for me and uh, and Brennan and, and you as well, Russ. Uh, you, you, right. you have some little ones um, that uh, mm. you know trying to figure out. Uh, I'm not quite there yet. Where we've worked on mama dada kind of kind of stuff, but um, we actually did learn the flam. Um, but it's you know they're not keeping their grace notes down. Yet. <laughs> yeah. But he's <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, no, uh, There's got to be a website that's like for a support group. Like my kid's a shitty drummer, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, something on, um, it came on Facebook the other day. It was like a, he must've only been about four or five years old. This little kid. It was like a, uh, like a, I don't, I don't, I'm not 
which country it was was um, like Spain's Got Talent or something like that. There's yeah. a little, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a little kid playing this um this march, but his his doubles were like so it, it didn't didn't marry up. You know what I was seeing on what I was hearing. It was just yeah. But again, like I say, that kind of natural technique. Right. Uh, it's quite crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so, um, so let me ask you this, Russ. Have you ever met the Queen? Uh, have I met the Queen? I've not met the Queen. Um, I've performed in front of her. A few okay. Times. That counts um, to me. That counts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I met, that counts. Um, I met the Duke of Edinburgh a couple of times. Yeah. Um, in fact, it was one of one of his last kind of public duties before he passed away. Um, not public duties, but one of his uh, kind of ceremonial roles. Um, he was he was at a dinner which I I was the lead drummer for, you know, and mm-hmm. reported to him. Um, and that was just before he kind of took a step back from public duties. Sure. Um, so I've got quite a quite a nice photograph of of that. That's 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 really cool. So here's why I ask that. And I I would love to get your perspective on this as a uh, as a British citizen, because I don't really know the answer to this. But so everyone on Earth pays reverence to the Queen, which I think is wonderful because I pay reverence to her. I think yeah, I think she's I think. Uh, I think she's been a fabulous monarch for, you know, 70 years or, or whatever. But what is it? I mean, everybody pays reverence. We're talking other monarchs. We are talking world leaders. You know, the last 70 years worth of presidents of the United States, everyone pays reverence to her. So what is it about the British crown and particularly when it's sitting on top of her head what makes why do people give her so much more respect than any other world leader what is it? do you know that's a tough question or a stupid question i'm not sure well yeah it's a tough question well no it's um we just got to you know look at her track record you know i don't think she's ever really put put her foot wrong you know she's you know she's been on on that throne for you know decades and decades um yeah just about, about her, her, her jubilee um and she, you know she's not put a foot wrong that whole time you know she's she's been there she's seen it she was relatively young when she took the crown right um you know soon lots of things go through the country and she's always been that kind of that rock you know um and you know obviously since the decline of the empire, British empire, you know, the monarchy is, is taken somewhat of a, a backseat. It doesn't have the kind of actual authority of what, of what it used to have. Right. Um, but you know, she's there and every prime minister has to go and answer to her. You know, they go every week, they, they speak to the queen, um, you know, and she is that kind of, well, she's the head of state, but she's also the, um, that, for one of the best words, that sort of sanity check, you know, she's, she's that person who they the, the prime minister has, has to kind of account to. Um, and again, you know, she, I don't think she's, she's really put a foot wrong. And even people that, you know, aren't uh, sort of, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not royalists, you know, maybe that, you know, there's quite a few in the country. Um, 
but I think even even they respect her, you know, and what she's done for the country and how she's conducted herself um, throughout the throughout the decades. And you know, and I think she's a, a massive uh, advert for for the UK, um, you know, abroad and overseas, and and she represents um, just so much, you know, for for who we are as a nation. Um, and you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future? You know, who how will that will pan out? Um, you know, because there's always some sort of scandal going on somewhere, sure. sometime with different right. royals. You know, there's been a few recently, which we won't mention. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she's she's been that she's been that rock. Um, she's and she's been there, and it's and it is an absolute absolute privilege and honour to, you know, to to serve Queen and country. You know. Right. 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 I think yeah, that's about my, my best diplomatic counsel I've got. <laughs> no, thanks for, thanks for answering trouble. that, honestly, because I, I like it. I, you know, I'm, I'm completely intrigued by her because, you know, uh, you know, I recognize the fact that in the last 70 years, anybody who has been anybody has met the queen. You know, everyone, every world leader, every monarch, everyone, uh, and they pay – uh, respects to her and it, you know, and uh, yeah, I think she's, yeah. Okay. Enough said. Yeah. But I think it's, you know, it's, it, it's definitely respect that has earned. Um, and she's just got that, that track record, you know, and she, she's, she's been there. She's seen it all. She's, she's dealt with crises before that, you know, always come around. Yeah. Um, right. and right. she is that, it's that a good kind question, of friend. Um, it's good. It was a good uh, question. It was a good question. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Yeah. You know what makes me no. You you're lying to me. Well, no, I, I thought it was a great. No. But you know that. Well, actually, I thought I thought I thought Brian was going to get his crown. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. No, that would that would have been pretty awesome. Actually, you know what? I'm kind of kicking myself in the ass about is that uh, we. It, it would have been great if we asked this question of John Moon, who recently passed away, and we could have had the perspective from John Moon who lived in the, you know, reconstruction period of Great Britain after World War II, and we could have gotten Russ's perspective on this, you know, 70 years later, which I think would have been really cool to compare and contrast, Mm. you know, but uh, we didn't do that, but that's okay. Yeah. So, So, but thanks for that. My uh, own silly question slash comment, which is what I was hoping Brian was going to ask, 
Um, I introduced Brian and, and Brennan to the to the field gun races earlier. Ah. Today. The, ah. the the greatest yeah. sport in all of history. <laughs> Actually, you said that to me. I have, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. You, 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 you have to you have to watch it. It's yeah. You got to look at the video, man. It's it is crazy. Amazing. Yeah, um, I yeah. Was like, it's such a shame that that stopped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so when when did that stop? That more recently? So that that finished. Uh, well, 1999 was the last one. Um, oh, it's actually called the last run. Uh, so in fact, that was my one of my one of my first um, massed bands events uh, gigs. That I did was was for that. Um, well, that, that was part of it. It was the uh, the Royal Tournament in '99, um, and that was yeah, that was the last time they did the full. They still do full gun. They still still do it, but they don't have the carabiners and the um, uh, like the the trench that they got to go across and just, just, you know moving everything across all the obstacles. That's, that's, uh, but it's that such an amazing cool. event. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but we're you know the the the, um, the, the bugler, the Royal Marines buglers are quite a you know pivotal part of that oh here we go look. there we go that's it oh yeah here we go <laughs> you'll see um woman's bugler in the middle so our, our job is to do like the um, like start The field gun competition dates back to 1907. A thousand volunteers are considered and slimmed down to three crews of 18. Serious training lasts only nine weeks and crew's height and age varies considerably. Lieutenant Commander Ken Mathers lights the thunder flash to signal the start. He loves this. Devonport near site. Thunder flash. Thunder flash. The field will pause. Thunder flash. Thunder flash. All right, it gets crazy right here. It's amazing. <laughs> you can imagine it's a uh, health and safety nightmare. Right there, that's crazy. <laughs> I wonder how many people have been killed in this ceremony over the years. More people yeah. have lost their fingers trying to move a wheel. <laughs> oh, this is incredible. Whoa. This is better than American Gladiators. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right, well, that, that's really cool. I got to watch that later. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. It's, but it's crazy. Actually got, um, it's actually got historical significance. The whole the whole thing, the reason why they do it, um, and I'm going to actually butcher the history of it. <laughs> no. It's okay. But basically, it, during during the First World War, they they created navy divisions, who were basically they would take kind of like navy. They were navy naval gunners, um, but they would they would deploy the shore, and they would carry the guns to like four forward positions. So that whole thing of of going over the, the ravines and the um, over the over the walls and obstacles that simulates the whole kind of taking the the, the gun carriages and the guns into the, the fighting positions because they they didn't have any horses obviously because they're on board ship and they literally you know came ashore 
carried the guns however many miles to, to the front line. Yeah, if so, I was um, to this as a podcast and not seeing the video, essentially it's American Gladiator, but you're carrying a howitzer. Yeah, and then as quickly as possible. Right, as quick as possible. Yeah, that was cool. You have to watch it. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, watch that. (laughs) The the other one you need to watch as well. Another old Navy history is the um, uh, Mast Manning. So they were they were climbing up these huge um, masts, Um, no safety nets, uh, just like concrete floor underneath them you know young lads uh, if you were uh, i'll try and send you the link but it's like crazy and then the one one guy goes right to the top and i don't know how high it is it is ridiculous so um yeah <laughs> watch that one as well <laughs> so so russ when i was there in, in 2016 um i i had uh, such a lovely time in, in portsmouth um, and and I don't I don't get this, but why do you think that people think that British food is so bad? <laughs> um, what? I I would say it's probably, I'll, I'll blame the Germans. There we go. I'll blame the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, rationing. That's funny. Yeah, we um, you know, all of our just living on on rations. You know, growing food in your garden and stuff. No, I I don't know. It's uh, it's. Just one of those things, isn't it? But we're fine now. We've got, you know, we've got McDonald's and um, Frank and Benny's and <laughs> American classics. No, I, I, American I classic. the restaurants in Portsmouth are are unbelievable, and and I, I that actually kind of uh, leads us to the next question. Um, you're uh, you guys are hosting Surd this year? Yes, hopefully, fingers crossed. Everyone, cross your fingers. Um, it was supposed to be uh, in. 2020 September 2020 obviously we don't happen there um COVID kicked in we then moved it to June 21 we tried again um that didn't happen obviously so third time lucky we're going for September 2022 um 16th to the 18th of September um and you know I've been sort of tentative seeing how things go but I think you know it's looking like we're living with COVID now, you know, and we've sort of got our heads around it. Um, I think we understand, you know, there's certain restrictions, certain things you've got to be careful of, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that it's going to go ahead. Um, so just recently, actually last few weeks, I've, you know, I've, I've been keeping things ticking over, keeping in contact with the hotel and the, and the different venues and things. Um, but it's only really, really in the last sort of four, three or four weeks that I've actually started to kind of, get back in contact go and visit set up meetings um you know so last week i was i was at the hotel um and just getting reassurance that everything is still okay i mean some of the prices have gone up but the hotel has been fantastic they've they've honored many of the the, the quotes back from 2020 which is really great um and you know they've been really good um so the the hotels already um We've just been working on the website. So uh, Alexander, uh, who does the website, he's we've just we've been working out how we can get people to register. I think we're I think we're there now, um, and hopefully that that'll be going live. I'm hoping next week. Um, and basically, people that are interested go onto the website. You register, and 
what we've done because there's for the hotel they've actually got a few different options for for different prices of rooms um we, and we were trying to wave put it on the website so that you could you could choose which room you would like in, on the website but it, it was just proven too complicated so you, you go on the website you register it's 115 pounds um, whatever that converts to um and that that covers all your food all the events um the uh, venues mm-hmm. uh some sort of registration fees uh, some gifts and things polo shirts so that that covers the kind of the actual symposium itself. Uh, once you've registered, you'll then get sent a confirmation email, and that will have the details for the hotel, which you can then book. We've got a, a promo code which gets you a discounted rate. Um, so originally we were looking at it was going to be two hundred pounds uh, back in twenty twenty. Uh, that rose to I think two hundred and fifteen last year, and then. With, so with accommodation and everything, um, probably looking at two hundred and thirty pounds. Yes. However, very good. You know, you yeah. don't so, have to say that. You can. So right now, yeah. uh, hundred fifteen pounds uh, is one hundred fifty US bucks. So that's pretty good. Yeah. But but I, I think you know yeah. for the listeners um, that yeah. and are not very familiar with that's all your food. Yeah, so so the listeners that are not very familiar with certain what 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 exactly is the symposium and, and you know what 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 goes on during the symposium and and this is the second in person one correct? Uh, this this will be the third actually third 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 yeah, yeah so um <laughs> third third yeah uh so this all started back in I think I want to say twenty sixteen yeah twenty sixteen um where the Swiss their their association um together with the swiss army uh they they created the uh, the symposium the society said society of international rudimental drummers that wasn't a the thing then but the symposium was the idea being it would gather all rudimental drummers from across the world so obviously america um uk france germany holland you know you, you name it um and they gathered them all together. And it was fairly, as, as you can imagine, for the first one, it was a fairly sm- small event, I think. Uh, Dave, you were there, weren't you, that one? Yeah, yeah. there was like, what, 30, yeah, yeah, yeah. 30, 35 yeah. of us or something like that for the whole event? Yeah. Um, so we had yeah, representatives from the Old Guard with uh, Dave and Mark. Um, Scott Mitchell was there, wasn't he, as well, from America. Um, we had David Lindbergh from Sweden, um, with a couple of Dutch guys, uh, Peter and Zander. Yeah. So, but it was, it was just the idea of, of sharing what we were doing in our, in a country. I think we had two kind of briefs. One was what is the current scene? What is it you're doing? And then what is your aim and what is your, your, uh, how, how are you engaging with, with youth? That was the kind of the two kind of themes that ran, uh, <laughs> for the weekend. And it was great, you know, because it was, you know, so many connections were made. You know, that was that was literally the the inception of of CERD. Following that, there was lots of uh, conversations, and then two years later, we went we went to Paris. That's where we formally kind of established the society, um, and kind of you know got things running that way. And then from there, we've done online events. We've got the website up and running now. We've got some projects that are running. Um, 
some education projects. We've got uh, a quite interesting thing at the moment where they're trying to create a, we've sort of coined it uh, Stickopedia, um, but it's it's all the different drum rudiments, but kind of trying to link them all together and see where they all sort of, like almost like a family tree of, of drum rudiments. Um, but as you can imagine, it's, it's pretty tricky because we don't all have the same system of rudiments. You know, the French have got a whole huge long list of rudiments. Swiss have got different rudiments. The Scottish have got different rudiments. So it's trying to link them all together. So the society kind of facilitates those little projects, um, helps. One of the one of the big things it does actually is is help um, like the smaller countries get established, but they, they might not have a, a rudimental tradition. So um, uh, like you know Latin America, you know they've they've got they've got a they have got rudimental drummers, but it's just trying to sort of bring that on uh, out in the Far East as well. You know they're they're doing lots of stuff out in uh, Japan and Singapore, and it's just a network of support really. So like the bigger countries that have got a really established um, system and, and and network, like America and Switzerland, for example. Um, how they can support the, the small countries. Well, you know, and um, that support goes both ways as well, though, because I mean, everybody kind of has as their own ideas with this stuff. You know, like like I had mentioned about the technology before. Um, you know, I mean, that's something that, that you guys certainly um, led the charge on on bringing some of that technology into into this, which is a vital a vital step. Um, you know, and then I mean, Damian down in in Argentina, you know, he has, he has ideas and all these different people mm. have, have all these ideas and things that, that they've worked. So we can all stand on each other's shoulders um, for this, which is, that's, that's a really cool thing to me. Yeah. You know, and if your listeners um, want to have a look at the website, rudimentaldrumming.org um, is a website. And what we're trying to do with the website is trying to create that as like the, the hub for all rudimental drumming, you know, so uh, eventually as we get more engagement, you know, we'll have videos, um, we'll have events that are going on in, in different countries around the, around the world. Um, we'll have links, you know, if you want to link up with somebody, maybe you're, you're visiting a different country, you know, who would be the person you go and link up with and try and make it as the kind of the, the, the one-stop shop really for rudimental drumming. And then all these other networks, can use that as a kind of a, a meeting meeting point. That's the that's the kind of aim for that. Um, with the symposium in Portsmouth, um, so we're hoping then, well, I'm hoping um, it's going to be um, our biggest event yet. You know, we're trying to be be quite ambitious with ambitious with it. Uh, and uh, the, the way it's running is slightly different to the previous symposiums, in as much as um, the Saturday. Uh, which is like this, the second day and I'll, I'll run through the, the, the program briefly if, if you'd like um, but the Saturday is being more set up for really good quality um, and a, a wide range of presentations and workshops and masterclasses uh, rather than just everyone getting up and having a go you know from because you're because you're just there at that time in that country, you know, just being selective and really having quality uh, presentations that that is going to be benefit the most amount of people. 
Um, so yeah. I think, believe we've already got John Wooten has agreed he's going to be on there. Uh, Brendan, I think you're going to do a bit with the Patriots. Um, we've got, you know, pipe band drummers. We've got um, uh, drummers from France, you know, and trying to have a, a wide range, but just be selective. Uh, the Friday night, we've got um, a good good few hours on the Friday uh, before the reception where we're going to, that'll be an opportunity for the younger countries and the smaller countries to um, present what they've been up to uh, and, and where they where they currently are. So I'll just go through each day, actually. So the Friday, everyone arrives, um, shakes out, and then we're straight into kind of um, the welcome reception, uh, sorry, welcome briefs and um, presentations from the kind of the, the smaller groups, smaller, smaller countries. Um, and then that will go into the evening, which will be the, the welcome reception where we'll have like an official start to the, to the whole event. <clears throat> so like a buffet and entertainment. Brian, so Saturday, as I say, that's see. Oh, sorry. Brian, you got to go this year. I should go. Yes. I, is there any alcohol involved? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm afraid so. <laughs> you know, I knew yeah, that was be. the answer. I knew that was the answer. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be hard because I'm doing I'm doing Switzerland in August and I'm doing Basel in August. I'm doing uh, uh, Williamsburg in May. So. You know, that may be tough in Portsmouth in September, but it sounds like a blast. It sounds like an incredible time. Yeah, so. well, we're hoping to have uh, at least 100, 100 drummers there um, and fifers as well, actually, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second. Wow. Um, wow. So, yeah, the Saturday is a whole day of workshops, masterclasses, and then in the, in the evening is like a, a formal dinner. Um, we might have a bit of an, an awards ceremony as well. We're, We'll present some people with awards, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, and then the Sunday, we've got a bit of a, bit of a expo and um, trade stall in the hotel. Um, and then go into the after- early afternoon, a um, like a pop-up concert in the historic dockyard, just yeah, in front nice. of the Patriots Victory, where we'll get to, you know, play and, and drum. Um, and then just very quickly, so this year as well, we're hoping, well, the, it'll be the first year we've actually invited the Fifers along. So they'll have a certainly on the Saturday they'll have a um, in tandem with our drumming workshops they'll have uh, a five five day where they'll do similar workshops and presentations. So uh, this is not going to float very well, but can I tell you my my joke about fifers? How do you get two fifers to play in tune? Shoot one. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Maybe, maybe I'll open. I'll open that. Um, I'll open that one. Shall I on the? Uh, right, I don't know, know what's funny or not. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, got, listen, Russell. This has been a fabulous talk. Um, uh, you know, I can't speak for these guys, but I really enjoyed it, and I learned a lot, and I'm glad we did it. So thank you for coming on. No, thank you. It's been no, great. Thank you, Russ. This was great. It's always a pleasure, yeah. Russ. But yeah. don't ever forget uh, no, that to... you just need to shoot one and then everything's in tune. That's all. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm sure they've got similar jokes about drummers. <laughs> yes, they do. Oh, they do. They have West they Colorado. have a hundred times more jokes about us, and they're way smarter, them. way better, they're way smarter. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Take That's care. Everybody. Excellent. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Great to see you. I'll see you soon. Good to see you too. Cheers. See you yeah. soon. Cheers. Bye. In 1905, 300 boy seamen, the forerunners of these lads, marched into Shotley. They were the first cadets to move into the Navy's new shore establishment, replacing the old training ship Ganges moored off Harwich. The annual Manning the Mast ceremony reminds us of the many thousands of naval cadets who've been trained here since the last war, some 1,800 a year. The mast is over 140 feet high, and each year a button boy is elected to stand on the button, its highest point. This time it's 16-year-old George Churcher. Experiencing as much anxiety as pride, his parents look on.
If you've liked this podcast and would like to support the Bottom of the Glass, go to patreon.com backslash bottom of the glass podcast to donate or click on the Patreon link on our Facebook and Instagram pages. And thank you. Program produced by Michael Blancaflor. Edited by Brendan Mason. Hosted by Brendan Mason, Dave Loyal, and Brian Watkinson. Podcast music was created by Michael Blancaflor. Logo was done by Andrew Ruddle.